What fun would computers be without images? Today we get into how digital images work. Welcome to Copec Explained Software, the podcast where we make computing intelligible. All right, Dave, this week's question, how do digital images work? Well, digital images can really be put into two categories. They can be thought about as bitmap images or vector images. But before we get into that, I think we should talk about pixels. So what's a pixel? A pixel is just a dot on your screen. That's one way of thinking about it. It's just one individual dot. And you know, your screen, whether it be your smartphone or the monitor hooked up to your personal computer, has a lot of pixels. In fact, if it's an HD resolution screen, it's going to be 1920 by 1080. Now, if you do the math, that's well over a million pixels. So those numbers actually mean something. Yeah, those numbers actually mean something. It's how many pixels do we have? And so you have a lot of pixels on the screen, and each one of them, amazingly, is controlled individually by the computer using the graphics card. And each of those pixels can be a different color. And when we put a lot of different of those individual pixels being different colors together, that's how we get images. It makes me think of pointillism, the art form, on a like extreme level. Right. And it's also the limitation, really, of digital imagery, right? Is that how many pixels we have is how accurate, how precise our images can be. Um, if we have more pixels, we can have a much more high-resolution image that's going to look more like real life to us. But if we don't have a lot of pixels, if we have a very low-resolution screen, like, for example, the original Macintosh coming out in 1984 had a 512 by 384 pixel screen. And by the way, those pixels can only be black or white. And so that was really, really low resolution compared to what we have today. So we couldn't see very accurate images. But today we have so many pixels and we're always getting more and more pixels and higher resolutions that we're able to see pretty accurate representations of the real world in our digital images. You mentioned a graphics card. What is that? Yeah, I think we're going to get more into graphics cards in a future episode. But I just want people to know that what the graphics card is responsible for is controlling all of the pixels. So it gets data about what the pixels should look like. It processes that data and then it creates the right pixels for the screen so that everything looks the way that we want it to look. It's a really powerful component of the computer and actually does a lot of computation uh, to take some primitive data and turn it into something more interesting and process it. But we're not going to get into all the technical details of the graphics card today, but just know that it's the component of your system that's actually creating these pixels and enlivening them and giving them all the great colors that we love. Great. So should we dive into the bitmap and vectors? Yeah, let's start with bitmaps. So bitmaps are basically just collections of pixels. So for example, let's say I had a very, very small image that was just supposed to be a very small stop sign, okay? So if it was a very small stop sign, let's say it's just going to be 10 by 10 pixels, okay? If it was a bitmap image of that stop sign, then that's 100 pixels, right? Because it's 10 in width and 10 in height, so there's 100 pixels, right? And we know that um, a stop sign's an octagon, right? So it doesn't actually take up all of the space with maybe red pixels, right? So some of the pixels will be red, maybe about 
you know, five eighths of them or six eighths of them or something like that. Some of the pixels will be white for the letters in the, um, in the word stop. And then there's going to be some pixels behind the stop sign where, you know, where, the, where there's still a square. Most digital images are squares, by the way, or rectangles. Sorry, rectangles. Uh, and then there's going to be some pixels that are not red or white that are some of those background pixels. But so all a bitmap image needs to describe is what color is in what pixel in what location. So it's not really thinking about like the whole picture. Like if you were doing a scene or doing a stop sign, it's not thinking, oh, I, I'm making a, a bitmap isn't thinking about like the whole of the stop sign. It's really breaking it down into these individual dots. Right. All a bitmap images is a collection of dots, if you want to think about it that way. Each of those dots is a pixel and each of those pixels has a color. And as long as we have them arranged in the right order, then we can recreate the image. And so there's many different formats for how we can actually store that pixel information. So we need to store for our image that we're talking about 100 pixels. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of different ways representationally that we can talk about those 100 pixels. For example, how many different colors do we want to make it possible to represent within one pixel? Well, we talked about this way back on an episode we did called What is a Byte? But basically, um, we need to think about how much data do we want to spend to represent the colors for each pixel. The more data that I'm willing to spend on each pixel, the more different kinds of colors and specific colors that I can represent. But before we get into how we might represent one individual color, why don't we talk about color models? So have you ever heard about the primary colors in art? Yes. So what are the primary colors? Putting me on the spot. Red, blue. I'm missing one. I'm missing Yellow, one. I think. Yellow, yeah. Right? Red. The ones that, red, blue, and yellow. The ones you can combine to make all the other colors. Right. So in computing, we also have color models, and there's more than one. Uh, but the most common color model is called RGB, and it stands for red, green, and blue. And there are other color models. Let's put them out there. People might have heard of CMYK, which stands for cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. But um, RGB is the most common color model. And we use the RGB model to represent our pixels. Now, the question is, how much data are we going to spend on each of those three primary colors? We're going to use the three primary colors together to form the specific color. But how much data are we going to spend on each one of them? Now, if we go back to thinking about bytes... You remember, um, one byte can represent 256 different values. If I use one byte to represent red, that means that I can represent 256 different versions of red. And if I use one byte to represent green, then I can represent 256 different versions of green. And same thing for blue. Now, if I have 256 different reds and 256 different greens and 256 different blues, and I can put those together, I can actually create a lot of different specific colors. And I can spend more. There's such a, there's such a thing as spending, let's say, two bytes on red. And then I can have, you know, uh, 65,000 different kinds of reds. Uh, so it depends how much data I want to spend on each pixel and then how much of that data I spend on each individual color. And there's also more primitive older computing systems that spend less than a byte on each individual component. But now let's let's add those together. I, let's just say I was going to spend one byte on red, one byte on green, and one byte on blue. That's three bytes, right? And that's three bytes per pixel. 
Now, imagine we had our image of 10 by 10. It was 100 pixels, right? So how many bytes then would, would our image take up? 300. That's right. Yeah, that means that bitmap would take up 300 bytes in that representation. Now, that is actually a common color model. Red, green, blue, using one byte for each is a color, common color model. However, we're missing something, which is that a lot of images we sometimes overlay on top of other images. And what do we call it if we can see through an image? That's opaque. No, that's when you can't see through an image. Oh, that's see-through? Transparent, well, right? Transparent. Transparent, oh. right? <laughs> so we often want to have some kind of transparency value too. And we call that usually the alpha component. And so the alpha component is how transparent is a pixel? Is it fully opaque? Is it partially uh, opaque? Is it mostly transparent? So uh, what we do is we often use what's called the RGBA color model, where we give another byte 255 different degrees of transparency. Mm -hmm. And that means that parts of an image can even be more transparent than other parts of an image. So what we end up with most typically, and like I said, there's many different color models, but the most common color model is probably RGBA with one byte per, per red, per green, per blue, and per alpha, meaning that it's four bytes per pixel. So our stop sign using that color model would be? 400. Right, 400 bytes. Okay, now here's the question. Can we do better with a bitmap than 400 bytes if we want to have that many colors per byte? Do you think there's a way? I'm assuming there is because of the way you phrased that question. Right. Well, what if we compressed it? And we haven't yet talked about data compression on this podcast, and maybe we'll get more into it in a future episode. But a lot of common image formats that people are used to, things like JPEG, I'm sure we've all seen JPEG, JPG, because every time you take a photo with most digital cameras, it saves it as JPG. And a lot of the photos you see on the web are JPG. Or maybe you've seen GIF images before, like animated GIFs. Or maybe you've seen PNG images before, since for portable network graphics formats, a very common format on the web. All of these image formats by default implement compression so that we don't actually have to spend as many as we were just talking about uh, bytes for every pixel for the entire image because we end up finding ways of uh, finding patterns or finding uh, duplicate use of the same pixel and then being able to actually store less data to then recreate the same image. So often a bitmap image format will include some kind of compression in it so that we can more efficiently store the images. Otherwise, uh, we would have to use a lot of space. If you think about it, four bytes per pixel, right? And let's say you take an image with a camera that is um, what we call 16 megapixels. And that's pretty typical now for a digital camera. It would be something like 16 megapixels. A megapixel is a million pixels, so 16 million pixels. And if I'm using four bytes per pixel, now 16 million pixels would be 16 megabytes. 16 megabytes times four would be 64 megabytes. If every image you saw on the web was 64 megabytes because it was such high resolution, um, or every photo you took was stored as 64 megabytes, which sometimes it is, because sometimes people store their images using the raw pixels, and there's image formats for that. But it would take up a lot of room. Yeah. And so we want to have ways of making things smaller. Oftentimes, we just shrink the image. But then on top of shrinking the image, we often also will compress the image using a compressed image format like JPG. Cool. So that covers bitmaps. Right. right. That's bitmap images. But there are other ways to have an image. Right. So the other main way of having a digital image is through what's called a vector format. Mm -hmm. And so while a bitmap image describes the individual pixels that make up the image, 
A vector format describes mathematical primitives that describe the shapes and forms that go into the image. What do you mean by primitives? So I mean things like a rectangle, okay, or things like a line,、mm-hmm. or things like even a curved line that follows some kind of mathematical formula to define its curve, or things like a circle. So, if for a bitmap, you're looking at the like the specific pixel, the individual dots, and this the vectors are looking a little bit bigger at shapes. Right, that's right. So they're looking at shapes, and they're not looking at、uh, specifically where those shapes are going to be in terms of what pixels are going to represent them. That's done later on. What the image format just stores is, oh, we're going to have a line that goes from the top left to the bottom right, and we're going to have a rectangle that goes、uh, to the top right of that line. And so it's the relative positions of these various shapes, these various graphical primitives, and not the specific pixels. And then it's left up to The program that's actually going to render the vector image to go and、uh, actually turn that description of an image into actual pixels. So, how does it know what colors to do? Well, you describe that in the vector image、okay. as well. So, you're going to describe colors as well, but it's actually a lot less data in some ways because、uh, let's say I want to describe a big image of、um, a giant stop sign, right?、Mm-hmm. As we were talking about before. Well, if I wanted to describe the stop sign. And I wanted it to look like a stop sign in real life. I'd have to use a bitmap image because that—that's really、um, I'm going to have every individual pixel describe that. But if I wanted to describe it just as the idea of a stop sign and then have it be able to render at different sizes, all I'd have to describe is just have a red octagon, and that might be pretty simple to describe using just lines and rectangles and triangles, maybe.、Uh, and then I might have to describe the text, so I might have to say, you know. Uh, I want the word "stop" to be in white in the center of it, but that's actually not a lot of information. That's like a few lines of some kind of description language of the code of that description language for the vector image, and so that's actually a lot less data in total that those few lines of description than describing the four bytes for every、mm-hmm. pixel and having this huge number of pixels.、Mm-hmm. The difference is though. The bitmap version is going to give me an image from real life, maybe something taken with a digital camera. Whereas the vector image is just going to give me a very, very clear red octagon, but it doesn't look like something from the real world. It just looks like something that、um, was cut out of a piece of paper, a red piece of paper, or something. Kind of like clip art. Yeah, kind of like clip art. A lot of clip art actually is often usually starts life as as vector images.、Mm-hmm. So we have file formats for describing languages for describing vector images, just as we have for、uh, for bitmaps as well. So people are more familiar usually with the bitmap image formats. People are familiar with things like JPG or GIF or PNG.、Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the vector side, we have formats like SVG. It stands for Scalable Vector Graphics, and it's actually pretty common on the web. In terms of programs that people use for the two, so if you're an artist and you're working with digital images, you'll often use Adobe Photoshop. That's probably the most common software. Although there's a lot of other, of course, digital image software. On the、um, on the vector side, Adobe also dominates, and it's Adobe Illustrator that's often used for making vector、mm-hmm. images. But there's again, there's a million other vector image programs, some of which are almost as popular as Illustrator, but not quite. Uh, I'd say Photoshop and Illustrator are the de facto standards in bitmap images and vector images, respectively.、Mm-hmm. So vector images aren't, like you said, aren't really co- aren't coming from real life. They're they're not what's used for photographs、right. that are going onto your computer. Whereas bitmaps are going to be what's used for photographs. 
Right. So bitmaps are often going to come out of photographs, although they might still be later manipulated in something like Photoshop to add text to them, Mm -hmm. to add um, different filters on them, to make them look a certain way combined with other bitmap images. And they could be actually drawn by hand as well. Mm -hmm. So somebody could go and sketch a bitmap image. If you've ever used Microsoft Paint on Windows Mm -hmm. or Mac Paint, if you were a really early Mac user, that's a bitmap image program. You're not, you might draw shapes with it, but the way it's saved, you can't later on go and open it and change those shapes. They're just pixels on the screen that you can then go erase Uh or cut and copy, but you can't actually manipulate the, the primitive forms that make up the image. So bitmap image software is pretty common too, but um, what's more common if you're a professional that's working with primitives is that you're going to use vector image graphics program like Adobe Illustrator. Uh-huh. And so, yes, vector graphics are always made by humans by hand pretty much, or it could be in a procedurally generated computer program, but they're always coming from the virtual world, whereas bitmap images are oftentimes coming from the real world. So nowadays, we really use our phones and our devices um, like cameras, right? We're taking lots of photos um, and maybe on our phones, saving them on our computers. Is there a specific way that they're saved or um, something that, what would you consider something really important for folks to understand about those images that are you know, pretty important to us that are now being saved on our computers and phones or on the cloud. So I think we can kind of tie together a bunch of things that we've been talking about with this. So when you take an image on your phone, and by the way, they say that the iPhone is the best-selling camera in the world, mm-hmm. uh, right? And so Apple puts, and all the smartphone manufacturers, put a huge amount of effort into the cameras on their phones. But what people might not realize is that that's a combination of both hardware and software. There's the image sensor itself, which is often made by a large semiconductor company. In fact, Sony is one of the largest makers of cameras for smartphones. But then um, after we get through having the hardware take the image through the lens, through the image signal processor, what will often happen is there'll also be software manipulation of the image. And there might be some um, auto adjustments using some filters. Mm -hmm. There might also be some, in fact, machine learning that goes on to make the image look better in different components of it and kind of adjust it based on what has been trained to look well to the human eye. And so what you end up getting is not a 100% accurate representation of what you saw. What you're getting is something that's gone through hardware and software filtration to create something that looks appealing in a certain way. And we can't ever recreate accurately because we've talked, as we talked about earlier, there's only so many pixels on a screen and there's only, and we only have so much memory to store pixels as well. We're never going to accurately represent 100% the real world. So what you see with your eyes is always going to have more pixels and more clarity and more vibrance than what you see in a digital image. Mm -hmm. A digital image is a representation in the same way that a traditional photograph is using an analog camera is a representation of the real world, but it's never going to be 100% accurate. Mm -hmm. It's limited by the fact that we have less data in digital form than we have in the real world in analog form. We can't represent every atom and everything that you're seeing around around you as you go about your day. 
Anyway, uh, so we get the image. It goes through all this filtration process to try to make it look as good as possible to human beings, both the hardware and software combination. And then we end up storing it usually in one of these compressed image formats like JPG. And some of those image formats are what we call lossless, which means they compress, but they don't lose any data from the original image that Mm -hmm. was taken by the camera. And some of those image formats are lossy, meaning that we might actually lose a little bit of data when we do the compression. But because we're going to get even more compression, it's worth the trade-off. Mm-hmm. And so JPEG is actually a lossy compression format. Oh, really? Meaning that we actually lose a little bit of data when we create our JPEG images from what was originally seen by the camera. Now, there are other image formats like RAW, which is a common one used, in, and there's different formats of RAW depending on the camera manufacturer, that uh, really people who are professional photographers often use because they don't want to lose any data at all. And so they'll take their images and they'll be stored in this raw format and they'll they'll directly manipulate the image in that raw format before they ultimately save it in a compressed Mm -hmm. format that does lose some data like JPG. Mm -hmm. So most consumers though, we're not um, going to use as many sophisticated filters as they're going to use. And to us, if we lost a little bit of data along the way, it really doesn't matter that much. It's worth losing that little bit of data to get that compression. Right, to get that compression ratio. Absolutely. So is there anything else our listeners need to know to really understand how digital images are working? I'd say one additional interesting thing is that a movie is really just several images put together. And so if you understand how a digital image works, you also kind of understand how a digital video works because it's just a series of bitmaps being strung together and playing in a certain order. Um, Just like if you think about the original Edison kinetograph um, or, you know, if you ever had one of those old films played for you on a reel in school when you were growing up, uh, you can actually see the 35 millimeter film is just one image after another going in front of the light being projected, right? Well, that's all a digital video is as well. It's one bitmap after another, quickly switching from one to the next to fool your eye into thinking that you're seeing motion when you're really seeing just a bunch of images one after another really quickly. Um, So if you understand bitmap images, you start to also understand what you're seeing when you see digital video. Taking some of the magic of digital videos away, or video away, but that's okay. It's good to know how things work. Yeah, and they actually can do additional compression algorithms on digital video where they look at just how much did the image change from one um, frame to the next. And so if instead of, we can, instead of storing the entire bitmap for every single frame, we can just store approximately what changed from one frame to the next. And that allows us to compress them even more. Because if even just if we were storing just raw JPEGs, if you were storing a raw JPEG for every image uh, in a video, you would end up for a two-hour movie taking up way, way, way too much space. Mm -hmm. So we need this even more advanced compression to make the amount of space that a video takes up be somewhat reasonable. And then there's a whole bunch of other formats different from the digital still image formats that are used for digital video. And then there's a sound part, of course, but we'll save that for another episode. All right. Well, thanks for joining us this week. We want to remind all our listeners to leave us a review on your podcast player of choice. And whether that's Overcast, you leave us a star, Apple Podcasts, you leave us a full review, or Spotify, and you follow us, it really does help with the show. Rebecca, how can people get in touch with us on Twitter? We're at Kopec Explains, K-O-P-E-C-E-X-P-L-A-I-N-S. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening.